Well, again, thank you for your welcome here. It is uh, great to be here amongst you. One of the one of the tasks of uh, a moderator is to bring the greetings of the assembly, which effectively means uh, we want to encourage you as you uh, belong to the wider church. There are and in, and encourage you in the sense that there are many other congregations just like this one, uh, meeting across the state, uh, faithfully testifying to the gospel and the truth of God's word. So thank you, and uh, I trust that we'll be continued to be encouraged from God's word this morning. So as we come to that, let's uh, just pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that indeed you would speak to us, uh, help us to... Uh, understand what you are saying to us through your spirit as your spirit applies the word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in many ways, the strength of the Presbyterian Church of Victoria is its people who are in local churches. And sure, we, we do meet together during uh, various times of the year uh, as as a large meeting, we stand together and that's a great encouragement. But really the strength of the church is, is the local congregations who meet together regularly, weekly and testify to the truth of the gospel. And so I want to encourage you as a congregation of God's people here to continue to do that and continue to witness to the faithfulness of God. And that's why we are looking at this passage this morning from Acts chapter 2. Now we read from verse 37. Uh, I want to focus particularly on the verses from 42 to 47. But these verses, uh, just in their context, remember this is just happening just after uh, Pentecost. Just after Jesus has uh, ascended back into heaven after his resurrection... And so we've just picked up uh, at the end of a a sermon by Peter, if you like, the Apostle Peter. And at verse 37, we we learnt that uh, they were cut to the heart by what they heard. You see, what had happened here is the account of, of Acts and the account of Luke are all written by Luke. And here we read that as they heard of what the, the truth of the gospel was, they were cut to the heart. Now, now many of these people, Luke, back in Luke's gospel, tell us that many of these people were at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And they went home from that event beating their breasts. They went home seeing what had happened before them and they beating, beating their breasts. But that was about all that happened. But now, as they understand the truth of what Peter has just taught them and as the Holy Spirit works in their hearts, we read that they were cut to the heart by the Spirit of God. They were convicted by the truth of what they heard. And through 
Peter's preaching, they were, they were astounded that just earlier they'd seen Jesus, uh, a few, a few weeks earlier they'd seen Jesus die on the cross and they went home beating their breasts. Now they were cut to the heart as they realised the enormity of all that they had seen. That this Jesus who they saw crucified indeed was truly the Son of God. That Jesus who they saw crucified indeed was the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for. He was the one who had come to save them from their sins. And that it was their own sin, their own rebellion against God that had put Jesus on the cross. And so they repented and believed, we're told. And they were baptised. And now they were changed people. They were followers of Jesus. And let me just say at the outset that that is the most essential prerequisite for belonging to his church is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Is to be someone who knows, who's been cut to the heart, if you like, who knows that they are a sinner, knows that they are a sinner, knows that they need a saviour, knows that Jesus died for their sin and professes the Lord Jesus as their Lord and saviour. And so here they are, and they start meeting together and I want to focus this morning on, on a few things that we learn from verse 42 onwards of what they did as, as this very early church, this very early stages of a church as it started to form and as they started to meet together. And I think on the back of your news sheet you've got about five points that I'll cover. We learn, first of all, that they were a church that was keen to learn. Keen to learn. We read in verse 42 that they devoted themselves. Now that word devoted is an important word. They devoted themselves, they stuck like glue, it's got that sense. It's got that sense of they were just there, all attentive, focused in. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles as they were taught the scriptures. Remember, they didn't have the written New Testament as we have it today. So they were devoted. It was like they were sitting at the feet of the apostles, listening and being taught all that had happened about Jesus and who Jesus was and why he had to come. And so they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They were taught the scriptures about the Lord Jesus and about God's plan of salvation. And all of a sudden it was for them like the Old Testament scriptures just lit up. I don't know about you, but I've, there's been a few times through my life where they, I would call them penny-dropping experiences, where you've sort of known stuff about the Bible for a little bit and you know this bit and you've heard that bit and you had that bit in Sunday school. And you, but then all of a sudden something happens and the penny drops and it's like something just joins all the dots together. And all of a sudden they just understood God's plan of salvation. All of a sudden it just became real to them. And I trust that has become like, been like that for you too. 
So we need to think a little bit about what's going on here too. Remember the apostles were God's messengers. They were sent ones. In fact, the New Testament tells us that they were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord Jesus. None of us can claim that. We have people today, yes, who proclaim the truth, who preach the truth. But rather than have apostles that we sit down and listen to, now we have God's written word, don't we? Those apostles wrote God's word down. And so we have the, what the apostles wrote. We have the New Testament scriptures. And so we as a church today need to be devoted and be keen to learn God's word. The modern church today should be a learning church. We need to submit and to come under the authority of God's word of the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures. And we need to persist in knowing and understanding and reading God's word. We even need to prepare ourselves for Sunday to hear God's word. You know, sometimes I wonder whether we rock up the church and, whew, I made it. Quick, where's a seat? Can we fit in? Oh, I'm a few minutes late, but it'll be right. And all of a sudden, the scriptures have been preached and we've, we're sort of halfway through before we even switched on. I think it's important to actually prepare ourselves to be ready to hear God's word. Even read it beforehand if you know what the passage is. So that first, this first point is to devote yourselves to the scriptures. Love the scriptures. Learn them. Read them. Memorise them perhaps. Study them. Apply them. How many of us are involved in Bible studies? How many of us read the scriptures regularly? And one of the basics and the first thing, the basics of a healthy church today is that it is devoted to the scriptures. Secondly, we read here that they were involved in fellowship or devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now the word here, fellowship, is the word Koinonia, it is, has the meaning of the word, has the meaning fellowship. Let me just say that it is, it's used in a couple of ways. Either way fits well here in what was going on. The first way is that it's the sense of a close mutual relationship. Their fellowship was a close relationship with one another because of their fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus. It is because of who they are in Jesus that they are able to have real fellowship with each other, with fellow believers. Now there is something special about meeting a stranger and then discovering that they are a Christian, isn't there? Uh, Anne and I do, well we haven't done it for a while but a little bit of caravanning and there's been times where we've landed ourselves in a a caravan park or a park somewhere and so I can remember one occasion we arrived late one night it was a dusty road in the caravan was full of dust we had tea in saucepans that we discovered next morning were that thick in dust in the bottom of them but we ate all that and didn't know next morning we wake up and we find the people next door to us were Christians and what a joy that was we had something in common and that is a great thrill because we have the Lord Jesus in common. 
we can have fellowship with them. And it's a highlight of our travels and I'm sure many of you can testify to something similar. It brings that extra dimension to our relationship with one another. True, fellow, true fellowship and unity comes from within. It can't be imposed from the outside. It comes when people have submitted to God, have come with repentant and believing hearts. And only when we are in right standing with the Lord will we be in right standing with one another. So that's the first sense. Real fellowship starts with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. The second meaning here is is actually the sense of sharing of mutual concerns for one another. It's a word that's used elsewhere. Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4 in the sense where he was organising for the relief of starving Christians in Jerusalem. And he uses the word fellowship in that sense of raising funds to assist this, this giving to others who are in great need to assist them. And it's a joy to give to someone in need, isn't it? There's this sense of fellowship. And so we see it here in verse 45. We read that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing. Now let's be a little bit careful here. It's not a command that, oh, I've become a Christian, I've got to sell everything. It's not saying that. But they did give as there was needs, as needs arose. They wanted to meet the needs of fellow Christians. The giving was to meet a need. In fact, we read later on that they still had their homes, they still met in homes. They didn't give them all away, didn't sell them all up. But they did give as they could to meet needs. And so fellowship is important in a church, isn't it? And perhaps in, in our church in the West, perhaps... Perhaps money's not quite the same situation as it might be here, although there are people with needs, aren't there? We know that. But some of the greatest needs in people in church life and church world today and in the whole society is this need for companionship, friendship, the sharing of lives. I just read an article recently that said some of the younger generations are some of the loneliest people that are out there. Uh, we've, we've run a, started a, a little thing at church where we're going to Geelong West. There are some of the older people are lonely. People are living alone and they're lonely. Loneliness is a huge issue for many people. And it's just one way we can have fellowship and increase that fellowship one with another and deal with some of those issues around. So fellowship is a really important part of a church. One of the basics, one of the signs of a healthy church. Thirdly, we heard, we read that they were praying, teaching fellowship, the breaking of bread and praying. They were devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer comes naturally. Well, it should come naturally. And hear me out. Prayer comes naturally after we hear and understand 
God's Word and the truth of God's Word and the grace of God. It it comes when we're overwhelmed by the truth of realising what Jesus has done for us. We all should be able to pray as Christians in some way. Now, I'm not saying that you've got to go to a prayer meeting and pray out loud, but as, uh, as Philip just said before, it's good just to be there with fellow Christians and even if you don't say anything, but prayer is something where is a response to what God has done as he has given us the Lord Jesus to save us from our world of darkness and bring us into the light that he knows. Do you pray personally? Do you ask God to change you and to grow you spiritually? Do you pray and do you pour out your heart to God? Do you pray and ask him to give you understanding of his words? Do you ask God to graciously fulfil his promises to you? Do you pray as a church? Now I know you do because I was there at a prayer meeting this morning and that's wonderful. Do you ask God to grow this church? One of the important basics of a church is that it prays. Prayer is crucial. Fourthly, we see that it is a church that worships. In verse 46 and the verse part of 47 we read... Uh, that they, and day by day, they attended the temple together and the breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. Their fellowship that they had was not only expressed in caring for each other, but also in the worship of God. They prayed, we read that they prayed and they probably referring to separate prayer times but also as they met together as God's people to worship him. We read that they broke bread, probably also referring to the sharing of the Lord's Supper but also to hospitality in one another's homes. We read too that they still went up to the temple, there was like this sense of worship going to the temple but not in the same way they had a new relationship with God didn't they through the Lord Jesus they didn't go there to sacrifice but to be together and they worshipped God and we notice that they in verse 46 that they worshipped as they met they had glad and sincere and generous hearts they met together and it was joyful time as they lifted their hearts to the living God in thankfulness for all that he had done for them. But isn't it interesting here how that joy is balanced with fear or if you have the NIV, it's, it's the awe of God in verse 43. As they saw amazing things happen amongst them, the wonders and signs, and as they understood the teaching of the apostles they still had this fear or this awe of God. God had visited them, come into their presence in Jesus and now through his spirit 
But there was still this sense of fearing God who had come close to them. Remember the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament who had this sense of fear when he met or had this experience meeting the holy God. In Isaiah 6, it was the fear of a forgiven sinner in the presence of a holy God. And and Isaiah's words were, Woe is me, I am lost, my eyes have seen the King. You see, we need to come in humility into the presence of our mighty God. Never let us become too familiar with God that we stop fearing him. Let's worship him with glad hearts, but let's also revere him. Let's worship God in reverence. Our worship should be guided by his words. We should enjoy reading his words, hearing his word preached, praying, singing together. Let's be a joyous, generous church who worships our holy God. And lastly, we read that it is a church that grows. So we've got a a loving, a learning church, a church that fellowships with one another, a church that prays, a church that worships. Now we have a church that is growing. In verse 47 we read, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now this was an extraordinary time and I know church church world isn't like that all the time and many of us have never seen 3,000 added to the church in a day. That's extraordinary. And churches do go through cycles. But here we understand how a church grows. It is the Lord who adds. The Lord added to their number day by day. If we concentrated ourselves on the nuts and bolts of church that we've looked at in the earlier verses, particularly verse 42, if we just thought church was all about going through the mechanics of uh, learning God's word and praying and every week doing that, they're good things, but they come out of a response of what God has done and it is the Lord who adds to his church. And in fact, that's what verse 47, the second part of verse 47, jolts us into reality about, doesn't it? It is not us that adds to the church, it is the Lord who adds to the church. And isn't it interesting that even back in verse 39 that we haven't really concentrated on this morning, it is the Lord who calls people to himself. And we need to pray for people who we know need to come to the Saviour. And so even as they did all the right things, even, even as they were learning and praying and fellowshipping, it is the Lord who adds. And all of our efforts are in humble dependence upon God who grows his church. Let's notice a couple of other things here. It is those who were being saved who are added to the church. He did not add them to the church without saving them. 
In other words, the church is not a good people's club. It is not about being a Christian in name only. There is no nominal Christianity here. This is God's church and he adds people who he has saved to his church. That's why before someone becomes a member, we usually want them to profess their faith. It is the Lord who saves and who adds. And he adds them to the church. Those who have submitted to the Lord Jesus acknowledge their sin and come to him with humble, repentant hearts and are added to his church. We should also notice... Jesus did not save people and leave them out on their own. He added them to a church. If you are a Christian, you belong in a church. I've been around Christian churches for a while and and I've come across Christians who think they can do it alone. Oh, I don't need to go to a church. It doesn't add up. There is no sense of solitary Christianity here. Salvation and belonging to a church go together. The idea that Christians can go it alone as individuals, separate from the church, contradicts what the New Testament teaches us. And that is the great danger of the church over the internet thing. Now it was really good while we had to do that. It had its place, but it can't replace real fellowship. It can't replace being face-to-face with people and the fellowship that we gain there. And so let me just, as we bring this to a close, let me just remind you that the basics of real church, they're not fancy, are they? It just involves diligent faithfulness to being a learning Fellowshipping, praying, worshipping, growing church. Yes, buildings are handy, money's handy, but the basics of church is God's covenant people in a relationship with the Lord Jesus, meeting together and encouraging one another and coming under the teaching of his word. After all, this first church is a result of a remarkable change that had taken place in their lives. Remember what had happened? These people had met Jesus. They'd seen him, probably seen him physically, but now they had experienced him spiritually. The Spirit had been at work in their lives and their minds and their hearts were changed and they were cut to the heart. Is that what drives your desire to belong to the church? Has your heart been renewed by the Lord Jesus, been reshaped by the Holy Spirit? Do you know the resurrected Jesus? Do you know him and love him? Do you understand that you have a need of him? Because that's what it means to come to the Lord Jesus and to know the forgiveness he brings, to turn from being an enemy of God to being one of his children. Jesus changes you. He changes your priorities. He changes your view of life and your view of the world. And suddenly you belong to him and you belong to his people, you belong to his church and you worship him and you serve him 
and the old ways and the old desires fade and you want to meet with his people. And it's interesting too, as we just conclude, this first church in Jerusalem showed the basics of church life as they responded to the gospel. And I can tell you it is easy to drift from the basics. It is easy to cut corners. If a church is standing still or if your Christian life is standing still, it probably means that one or some or all of the basics have slipped. And it's interesting that even as this church was established and as Paul established new churches in the New Testament and his missionary journeys through Acts, we find that he actually goes back and revisits those churches to build them up and to strengthen them to help them to focus on those basics. And so it's a cycle that we keep going through, isn't it? And remember in one of those churches, the church in Ephesus has a letter written to it in Revelation chapter 2. And that those words are quite astounding because to that church they were accused of losing their first love. They were accused of losing their love for the Lord Jesus and they are told to remember, to repent and to recover what they knew at first, the basics of church. So as a church, the only way to keep going is to remember what God has done for you and to respond to his grace by loving God, loving his words, loving fellow believers, loving the worship of God and prayerfully seeking his growth. What a joy it is to meet with fellow believers and may you continue to, to be a church that loves God and all with all your heart and soul and mind, that you might continue to witness to his faithfulness to a world that desperately needs him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your words. We thank you for your church. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for your word that tells us of the saving love of the Lord Jesus. Help us to be faithful and diligent in those basics in our lives, in our families and in the church. May we be a church that loves you and serves you and is a witness to you in this community and into the wider world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.